Good morning. How are y'all? Good. My name is Allie. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's right, today we are talking about stories. But first I have to tell you about a little something that we do at my house every Sunday. So every Sunday it started now that we watch a movie. And to be honest, it started because I really, I desperately wanted a nap after church. And this was the way to entertain my children. So now they expect it. And now we watch a movie. And so last Sunday was the same, and we kind of landed on Toy Story 3. And for those of you who have not delighted in the pleasure that is Toy Story 3, let me give you the background. Andy, who is the boy in the story, has grown up, and he's about to go to college. And he is deciding which toys he wants to take to college with him. And so most of the toys, obviously, go in this box that he labels Attic, but then he keeps Woody, his beloved cowboy, with him and puts him in the box to go to college. Well, of course, because it is a movie, chaos ensues, and the box that goes for the attic gets put out on the curb and gets taken away, and Woody goes on this adventure to save these toys. And at the end of the movie, everything is good. Woody and Buzz have rescued all the toys. They are back in their house, and they're back in their respective boxes. But Woody makes a quick change to the label that says attic on the other toy's box. And he crosses some things out, and we don't really see what it is. And then we get this next scene. My cowboy! Woody? What's he doing in there? There's a snake in my boot. What? <laughs> now Woody, he's been my pal for as long as I can remember. He's brave, like a cowboy should be, and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you, ever. He'll be there for you, no matter what. You think you can take care of him for me? Okay then. happened to me on Sunday where I was trying to take a nap. I end up on the couch sobbing, sobbing in front of my children. And then to make it worse, my little five-year-old who has a bunch of big feelings looks at this scene and like his eyes, he doesn't know what to do with this feeling because he doesn't know what it is. And he's sitting there and goes, but, but he won't have any more toys and just breaks down. So I lose it more. And I'm sitting there being like, God, I've even seen this movie. I know what happens. And I was thinking, God, why do stories do that to us? How do they do that to us? Why is it that even when we know the narrative of a story or what to expect, why do we have such intense reactions even when we didn't expect to? Over the last 10 years, I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but there's been a ton of research on this very idea. What happens to our brains when we hear stories. 
there was kind of this eruption of neuroscience when we discovered that we could use fMRIs to measure people's brains and kind of look at their activity. And with that, we started testing things. And one of them was, what happens to our brains when we hear stories? What is it about stories that gravitates humans to these narratives? And as they've done research, one of the things they found is it ignites way more of our brain than we thought. So if I give you a PowerPoint presentation, for example, your language processing part of your brain will ignite. There'll be a mechanism that does that. And you would think that stories would be kind of the same thing. It's like you're hearing words. Surely you're processing in the same way. But what they found out is, no, you're actually processing with lots and lots of different parts of your brain. So when you watch that clip, you saw what you saw, you heard the words, you were processing the language, but there was also uh, an activation of the motor part of your brain. So when you hear or see details, like if someone said she had leathery hands, your brain goes and thinks about what it would be like and what it would feel like to have leathery hands. And then the other crazy part that they discovered in the last five or so years is that your brain actually releases oxytocin, the hormone that makes you connected to people, when you hear stories, even if they're not about people you know. So in some way, you feel connected to that story, even though Andy and Woody are not real. You feel connected because your brain is telling you to make connections. And then even crazier than that is that it activates our memory. And this is what kind of stumped a lot of scientists for a long time. Why are our memories involved? And the reason they think is like when you watch that story, my guess is depending on your life and your memories, you had different reactions to it. Because your experience of your life dictated your reaction. So for example, if you have children, that might have been an example that you lived with. If you're about to leave for college, then it had a different memory that it connected with. If you had beloved toys, you've had a moment like this, you had a different reaction to that. Your whole brain, pretty much, is being activated when you hear stories. But here's what the most interesting part of this research is. Over time, they discovered something called the default mode network, default mode network, or DMN. And let me tell you how they discover it and why it's important. So first, they discovered it by accident. When they first invented fMRIs, they had two groups of people, one who was doing a complicated task and one who was just at rest. They needed a control group. And they expected that both groups would have different levels of brain activation. The ones doing the complicated task would obviously have more activation than those at rest. But what they figured out is when our brains are at rest, they actually have the same amount of activation, just different areas, than when you're doing a complicated task. And so now, people are doing research about what is this DMN? What is it about? Why is our brain activated at rest? Even when you have a minute between tasks, you were defaulting to this DMN. And so they tested it, and they were like, okay, so will it respond to sounds? Will it respond to music? Let's test all these external stimuli and see what activates this DMN. And do you know the only thing that it reacted to? Narratives. When people heard stories, their DMN activates. And that led to this whole other like, theories around what does that mean? And right now, the leading theory is something is going on 
in our brain when it's at rest, where it is essentially always scanning for stories. And so it's activated by stories because that's what the DMN is responsible for. It tells and processes stories all the time in your head. That's why mind-wandering, daydreaming, when you're trying to put together pieces of a story, essentially, even right now, your brain, because I'm going to guess that most of y'all are at rest, most of them are kind of picking up pieces of either that Toy Story clip we just watched, a story that you're telling yourself about your work, about your job, about your family. You're pulling pieces together and making stories in your head. And the reason that you do this, the reason that the DMN exists at all, is so we can process the world around us, ourselves, and our role in it. In other words, what this research reveals is that we are designed for stories. We actually can't be healthy without a healthy story. And the default mode network helps us make that story in our heads all the time, actively. It's doing that. If we need stories to answer the big questions, like why are we here, what do we do, what do we do next, if we need stories to answer those questions, it makes sense that our brains are set up that way, to listen, to scan, and to search for stories. And it also makes sense that God would choose to give us not a set of facts, not a PowerPoint presentation, not even really multiple people just telling us things, but he would give us a story. So if you'll take the liberty today, if I can take the liberty today, I'm going to tell you that story. But it's a little different than what you've heard before. Because here's my guess. Some of you look at this and you'll have all mixed emotions. Some of you think, oh, great. It's a, I'm supposed to read this story and it's like 2,000 pages. And besides that, it was written over 2,000 years. It's written by over 40 authors. It has 66 different books, different genres. How in the world are you supposed to deduce a story from this? But what we believe, what Christians believe, is despite all this, there is actually one story that the Bible tells. One unified story. And today, I'm going to walk you through that story. Because if I had to pick, and lots of other people smarter than me think this too, then I would pick that there are four major turning points in the Bible. And we're going to go over all of those. So can I tell you the story? Kids, can I tell you the story? Y'all know some of this because we do this in Grove Kids too, right? All right, so when does the Bible start? What book? Thank you. Oh, look, my confirmation students. They know it so well. Love it. Genesis. And what is the, okay, so what's the first thing that happens in the Bible then, Sergeant, Mr. Smarty Pants? God creates the heavens and the earth. That's right. God creates the heavens and the earth. Creation. This is how the story starts. We believe that in the very beginning, there was chaos and darkness. And then there was this thing, like this mind that was the author of all reality. And that thing we call God. And God came in and saw the darkness and chaos and said, I can make order out of this. I can make something out of this. And he made lots and lots of things. He made a whole creation. At the very end of that creation, what did he make? What did he make? 
Humans, this side of the room, man, y'all got some work to do. Humans, he made humans. And he made humans on purpose because he said, I want to partner with these beings called humans. I'm going to make them in my image so they can be representatives for me on earth and I'll give them meaningful work. Their job is to take care of this creation so that it can be a blessing to all the other humans it creates. And everything was good in this garden and God called it good. But then what happens? What happened next? You said it. Humans eat the apple. They eat the apple. They do. And sometimes this is called the fall. Sometimes it's called the fall. I think I like calling it the choice better. Because here's why. Here's how I see it. So God was kind of like a mom or dad who said, hey, don't eat of that tree. It's going to cause you problems. Don't do it. He wasn't tempting them. He wasn't testing them. It was there in the garden, and he wanted to protect them. And he said, don't do it. But then this symbol of a tree or that fruit represented that humans had a choice. They could choose to partner with God and find freedom in doing the work that God had given them, or they could choose to define good and evil for themselves and kind of like be their own God and go that way. And what did they choose? They went this way. They went this way, didn't they? They went this way. They made the choice out of pride that they could define things for their own, that they didn't need to trust God or partner with God. And after the fall, after the Garden of Eden, what the Bible tells us is it kind of spiraled into chaos. There was violence and death and darkness entered the world. And it didn't even enter the world. It entered our hearts too. And so humans started to make a bunch of decisions that weren't great. And God looked at his creation and he said, oh God, what am I going to do about this? I don't want to interfere with their choices because they're free and I want them to be free because I love them. But I also can't, this is not what I wanted for my creation. And so he has a plan. And this is his first rescue plan. He says, I'm going to choose a family. I'm going to choose a group of people, and then they'll be like my representatives on earth, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to give them guidance. I'm going to give them this thing called the law, and I'll kind of be with them the whole time. And that's how we'll make this different. That's how we'll make creation different. And God did that. He chose a person. Bonus points. Who was that person? Go. Not Mary, that's New Testament. Go back in the Old Testament. Who was the first? Close. After Noah. He did make a covenant with Noah. I'll give you half a point. His name starts with an A. Abraham. That's right. He chose Abraham and he said, Abraham, all of your family is going to be part of this big family. And that big family is going to be called Israel. And that family is going to represent me to everyone And they're going to be good and kind and loving because I'm good and kind and loving. And by that, they're going to bless other people. But do you think it went really well? It didn't go very well. It didn't go very well for a very, very long time. For lots and lots of years, there was kind of this start and slip, start and slip and chaos as the people of Israel tried to figure out who they were supposed to be, who they were supposed to represent. And ultimately, there came a point where God said, ugh, this plan is not working. This plan is not working. I need a new plan, a new plan that still helps me partner with humans, 
but it isn't this way of choosing a family. It has to be something different, something where they're still allowed their freedom of choices. What do you think his plan was? Not yet. What did he do? Who did he send? It's the universal Sunday school answer. Jesus. Is that right? Did he send Jesus? He sent Jesus. And so that leads us to the third big thing. Now, between these two, the apple and the cross, there's a lot of time. I couldn't show you that on my slide, but there's a lot of time. So it's like two events on the end and two events on the other end, okay? But after, after all of this chaos in Israel, God said, okay, 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 here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send myself as a human. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send myself as a human in this man called Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what Jesus did? He did lots of things. But one of them is that he taught people about God's definition of good and evil. He taught them about their choices. And he says, here's where you got it wrong. Here's what's right. And he kind of taught people how to live. He showed people the right choice. So instead of going this way, they could go this way. And then the craziest thing is God, as Jesus, took all of the consequences of our bad choices and he died for us. He died for us. And then the crazy part of the story that we celebrated last week, what happened after Jesus died? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. That's right. He rose from the dead. We call that a fancy word called redemption. Redemption. We call it redemption because what it means is that here was creation. We kind of had all this stuff in the fall. And then Jesus brings us back to a place where we can be like we were in Eden, in creation. And through Jesus, we get to this kind of fourth and final part. Jesus, too, presents us with a choice. He says, look, you can follow my path, which leads to life, and follow the choices I made, or you can follow the path that leads to destruction. But if you follow this choice, you will receive God's very own power in you, in your heart, called the Holy Spirit. And that thing, Holy Spirit, will help you follow Jesus and keep making the right choices here. And he also said, the more you do that, the more you get to see this thing we call the kingdom of God or restoration. Restoration is just a fancy word of saying that we're coming back to how creation was intended to be. So Jesus said, look, the Holy Spirit will help you see the kingdom of God here and now. And then when I come back again, everything in this world will be as it was intended to be. There will be no more darkness, no more death, no more sadness, no more grief. All the sin and the darkness that was in the world will be gone when I come back again. And that is the story of the Bible. And what's so interesting about this story, if you plotted it, this is my interpretation. I think it looks like that. It's not a straight fall. We had some ups with the prophets, maybe, and some ups and downs. But there's definitely a stopping point before we get to Jesus. And what I think is so interesting about this story is that for most of us, it mirrors our story. It mirrors the story that we live out all the time. Because it doesn't take that much life 
to realize that you go along trying to do your own thing, you're created as a blessed child of God, and then something happens. Your heart breaks because of other people's choices or because of yours. You get disappointed. Your day turns a different direction. Your life turns a different direction, a direction you didn't expect. And we could stay here, like in this part of the story, we could stay there. That could be our life of just getting back up again, trying to start over, and then things aren't as they needed to be. But that's not the story that we believe. And somewhere deep down, that's the story that humans know isn't true. Because if you've ever experienced disappointment or grief, if you've ever been through those trials in life, small or big, then you know that most of the time, there's life after death. There's hope after devastation. We see that and feel that, but we also understand that to get to that point, it usually takes something supernatural. Like, have you ever heard someone say, like, I was crazy patient during that time and I have no idea where that came from? Or all of a sudden, I was able to handle it and endure it and I had no idea where I got the strength. We believe, and we call that, the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is in you and working in you to support you so that one day, when Jesus comes again, we can have that final hope of life after death. That is the story of our lives, but it's also God's story. And it's a story that I hope all of you take into your little DMN networks that I'm 100% positive are at rest right now and kind of incorporate into your life. Because the reason that we give your Bibles now is you guys are at that age where you're starting to kind of see the world a little different. And it'll keep changing all the way up until you're in your 20s. But right now is the time when God invites you, not your parents, you, into his story. And so in a moment, we'll present these Bibles to you. But they're not something that I just want you to put on your shelf, okay? It's not something that just stays there. It's not like a certificate or a trophy or something like that. It's something that over time, you will learn to read on your own. And you will get confused by it, and you'll get kind of like, I don't know if I believe this about it. But eventually, you'll get to a place where the Holy Spirit will bring you into God's story. And you'll make that choice on your own. Okay? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that we get to be part of the continuing story of your love. We're so thankful that we get to impart that story on these children. What a blessing to know that your story lives on. What an honor to be able to share it. Dear Jesus, be with us and be with these kiddos as we impart the story to them and the signal of the hope that is yet to come. It is in your name, amen.